We're reading from the Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 11, chapter number 28. And I'm starting up at text number 1. Shri Bhagavanu Vacha Parasubhava Karmani Na Prashansi Sena Garbayet Vishvam Ekatmakam Pashyan Prakritya Purushenacha the Supreme Personality of God had said, one should neither pra- praise nor criticize the conditioned nature and activities of other persons. Rather, one should see that this world, rather one should see this world as simply the combination of material nature and the enjoying souls, all based on the one absolute truth. Purport. Material situations and activities appear to be good, passionate, or ignorant according to the interaction of the modes of nature. These modes are produced by the illusory potency of the Lord, which is itself not different from its master, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So a devotee of the Lord remains aloof from the illusory temporary manifestations of material nature. At the same time, he accepts material nature as the potency of the Lord and thus essentially real. The example may be given that modeling clay is shaped by a child into various playful forms such as tigers, men, and houses. The modeling clay is real, whereas the temporary shapes it assumes are illusory, not being actual tigers, men, or houses. Similarly, the entire cosmic manifestation is modeling clay in the hands of the Supreme Lord, who acts through Maya to shape the glaring temporary forms of illusion, which absorb the minds of those who are not devotees of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And now we'll take any questions. I can't remember exactly who, uh, I mean when, but uh, I think Chaitanya Mahaprabhu gives this instruction to either Rupa Goswami or Sanatana Goswami or somebody. It comes up in the pastime of Ramachandra Puri. Okay, okay, yeah. In that pastime, Ramachandra Puri is criticizing Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. I think it's mentioned there by the author himself. Navina, you want to check in the uh, chapter of Ramachandra Puri and see if it's Kaviraj Goswami or someone else who, who actually quotes this from the Niti Shastra, there's a admonition given there that one should neither, neither praise nor blame, but then of the two, it's okay to praise, but not blame. What else? We flew you in here especially to ask questions. And online also, if you have questions online, you can answer ask them. Okay, I'll read it again. The Supreme Personality of Godhead said, one should neither praise nor criticize the conditioned nature 
and activities of other persons. Rather, one should see this world as simply the combination of material nature and the enjoying souls, all based on the one absolute truth. Material situations and activities appear to be good, passionate, or ignorant according to the interaction of the modes of nature. These modes are produced by the illusory potency of the Lord, which is itself not different from its master, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So a devotee of the Lord remains aloof from the illusory temporary manifestations of material nature. At the same time, he accepts material nature as the potency of the Lord, and thus essentially real. The example may be given that modeling clay is shaped by a child into various playful forms, such as tigers, men, or houses. The modeling clay is real, whereas the temporary shapes it assumes are illusory, not being actual tigers, men, or houses. Similarly, the entire cosmic manifestation is modeling clay in the hands of the Supreme Lord, who acts through Maya to shape the glaring temporary forms of illusion which absorb the minds of those who are not devotees of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Yes, Priya. I was noticing in this verse, um, it reminded me how um, we are one with the Lord, but also um, not different in Him than quality. And there's a similar nature to this illusory energy. In quantity. Uh, in, oh, sorry, we're not... Uh, it's the same in quantity, but we're the same in quality. And in terms of the material nature, it is unreal. But because it is in relation to the Lord, it is also real. So I think um, it's kind of interesting how our philosophy is so um, flexible in that we're able to accommodate that not it's not just illusory, but it also has its reality because it's related to Krishna. Sure. Thank you for that. There's a description of what the real meaning of illusion is in the Chatur Shloki Bhagavatam. And that the Chatur That verse says, Ritertam yet pratieta na pratieta chatmani tadvid yad atmano mayam yatabhaso yatatamaha. That anything you see that's uh, separate in vision from me, the Krishna speaking, Know that to be my illusory energy. Rite, R-T-E, rite, rite-tum, yet pratieta. So everything is uh, part of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, but if I see it as different, if I separate it by my own consciousness, then it's uh, known to be illusory. What's the number? Two, nine, thirty-four, please. Two nine thirty four is part of the Chatur Shloki Bhagavatam, which is a very important part of the Bhagavatam. It's Lord Krishna speaking to Brahma. That's nice. It showed an advanced view. Is that because the audience here is more advanced than most? Why did you take? How does it take away the uh, the word for word? That would be nice. We've got next, nothing against the word for word, right? There's not a moratorium. Shishuku. Huh? There it is. Rite means without. Artam, value, 
yet that which pratyeta appears to be na, not pratyeta appears to be cha atmani in relation to me. So if something doesn't appear to be in relation to me, then it uh, is the illusory. It's illusory because factually everything has a relationship to Krishna. So look at the translation. O Brahma, whatever appears to be of any value, if it is without relation to me, has no reality. No is my to me book a book. Reflection which appears to be in darkness. Questions. I was just thinking that this is a very good checkpoint, like every like the, throughout the day if you whatever we are doing, if we remind ourselves what relation it has with Krishna. So um, it's just we can check because there are many things we may be doing which has absolutely no relation. Yeah. Well, you may see no relation, but it has relation. I mean, yeah, yeah. So, Navina, which verse is it? So, there is a <clears throat> verse from Srimad Bhagavatam spoken by Krishna to Uddhava, 11.28.1. And it says, one should see that because of the meeting of material nature and the living entity, the universe is acting uniformly. Thus, one should neither praise nor criticize the characteristics or activities of others. And then the next verse, of the two rules, Ramachandra Puri obeyed the first by abandoning praise, but although he knew that the second is more prominent, he neglects it by criticizing others. And then in the purple, Prabhupada speaks about Paravidhi and about the more important... So who's speaking the verse then? Uh, the verse is spoken by Krishna to Uddhava. Could you put it up, please? 11281. 11281. That's the verse we just had. Are you in the Chaitanya Charitamrita or the... Bhagavatam. Uh, Chaitanya yes. yeah, could you tell us where it is in the CC? In the CC, it's Antya 878. 78. Thank you. Para Swabhava Karmani na Prakritya Purushenacha, which is just the verse we had. But uh, if, you'll, uh, if you'll notice who's speaking, who's quoting the verse. Yeah, within the context of the Chaitanya Charamrita. Paramananda Puri is speaking about his god brother Ramachandra Puri. Okay. Paramanapuri is speaking about Ramachandrapuri. Thank you very much. And so Paramanandapuri is quoting this verse to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Is that correct? Yes. All right. So keep sliding down next to the next verse, please. There are two kinds. Back up, please. The two kinds of activities rejected in the revealed scriptures constitute his daily affairs. And then he quotes this verse. 
And then 79, please. Tar madye purvavidi prashamsa chadia paravidi nindakare balishta janiya. Of the two rules, Ramachandrapuri obeys the first by abandoning praise, but although he knows that the second is more prominent, he neglects it by criticizing others. Purport. The above-mentioned verse from Srimad Bhagavatam gives two injunctions. The first, called Purvavidi, is that one should not praise, and the second, Paravidi, is that one should not criticize. As will be apparent from the following verse, the injunction against praise is less important than the injunction against blasphemy. One should carefully observe the Paravidi, although one may neglect the Purvavidi. Thus, the actual injunction is that one may praise but should not criticize. This is called Shleshokti, or a statement having two meanings. Ramachandra Puri, however, acted in just the opposite way, for he neglected the Paravidi but strictly observed the Purvaviti. Since he avoided following the principle of not criticizing, Ramanandra Ramachandrapuri broke the rules. Both the rules. Between the former rule and the latter rule, the latter is more important. This is mentioned in the Nyaya literatures. Even where there are hundreds of good qualities, a critic does not consider them. Rather, he attempts by some trick to point out a fault in those attributes. So there's a... definition of the advancement of devotees given by Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur in the Srimad Bhagavatam, and he describes how there's the lowest of the <coughs> fallen people who are expert at finding criticism, and then there are the devotees who are eager to find the good qualities in people. So he says... So the, uh, does Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur, that there are uh, gradations. So the materialistic person notices that there are good qualities in somebody, but then he says that, that they won't last. So the example that he gives is the person may be giving in charity, and that's a good thing. He says, okay, that's good, but it's going to turn bad later because as he's giving in charity, people will praise him, and then later on he'll become puffed up and he'll, and he'll think I'm so great. And so he'll just be spoiled. So it's, it's not actually good. And then the one that's worse than that is that although there's good qualities and bad qualities in the person, the materialistic person only sees the bad quality and doesn't see the good. And then finally, even when there's no good, no bad qualities in a person, the criticizer somehow or other finds a fault. And on the opposite side, <clears throat> the sadhu is one who's able to, uh, when he sees a bad quality in someone, he turns it into a good quality. For instance, a man's house is robbed at, at gunpoint, and the person, uh, the robber, steals 
the money and runs away. And then the person says, well, actually, he had a gun. He could have killed us. But he didn't. So actually, he's quite pious. And probably, he was starving. He needed the money for his family. So even though it's a bad... <laughs> the person's got bad qualities, somehow or other he finds a good quality. And in this way, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur explains that there are gradations of people, higher class and lower class. The high class people, the Vaishnavas, are able to find the good qualities in others. Whereas the low class people are not able to find any good qualities anywhere, anywhere they look. So Krishna's talking about this um, principle and describing how easy it is for a person to neglect the, the good qualities of others. And um, one should also see, he says, that everything is being ordered by the Supreme Personality of Godhead. It's all coming from him. And therefore, a spiritual personality doesn't have to, to give qualitative judgments on the material world because it's all the material world. And an example that Srila Prabhupada gives frequently is that in a prison, there may be a discussion about which prisoner has a better cell. And he may argue, or someone may argue, that this person has a first-class cell, the other person has second, and the other person has third-class. But at the end of the discussion, no one notices that they're actually all imprisoned. So in a similar way, the whole material world is like a prison house. So whatever facility one has here, it's not good. It's not considered to be an auspicious place because everyone's in jail. So Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur advises don't become overly concerned with criticizing the material world or pe people's interactions with it. And there are two reasons. One is that it's all bad. And the second is <clears throat> that it's being taken care of. In other words, there's a way in which the material nature is perfectly ordered because there's a law of karma. And it's giving everyone exactly what they deserve. No more and no less. Except for the devotees. Karmani nirdahati kintu chapakti bhajan. When one's engaged in Krishna consciousness, then one's karma is being diminished. And the second verse in this chapter says, whoever indulges in praising or criticizing the qualities and behavior of others will quickly become deviated from his own best interest by his entanglement in illusory dualities. Purport. A conditioned soul desires to lord it over material nature and thus criticizes another conditioned soul whom he considers inferior. Similarly, one praises a superior materialist because one aspires to that superior position in which one may dominate others. Praising and criticizing other materialistic people are thus directly or indirectly based on envy of other living entities and cause one to fall down from swa-artha, one's real self-interest to Krishna consciousness. The words, asat yabini beshita, by absorption in the temporary or unreal, indicate that one should not adopt a concept of material duality 
and praise or criticize other materialistic persons. Rather, one should praise the pure devotees of the Supreme Lord and criticize the mentality of rebellion against the personality of Godhead by which one becomes a non-devotee. One should not criticize a low-class materialist thinking that a high-class materialist is nice. In other words, one should distinguish between the material and the spiritual and should not become absorbed in good and bad on the material platform. For example, an honest citizen distinguishes between the life of civil freedom and that of imprisonment, whereas a foolish prisoner distinguishes between comfortable and uncomfortable prison cells. Just as, a, just as for a free citizen, any situation in prison is unacceptable, for a liberated Krishna conscious devotee, any material position is unappealing. Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur indicates that rather than trying to separate conditioned souls by materialistic dis distinctions, one should bring them together to chant the holy name of the Lord and propagate the Sankirtan movement of Lord Chaitanya. A non-devotee or even an envious third-class devotee is not interested in uniting people on the platform of love of Godhead. Instead, he unnecessarily separates them by emphasizing material distinctions like communist, capitalist, black, white, rich, poor, liberal, conservative, and so on. Material life is always imperfect, full of ignorance, and disappointing in the end. Rather than praising and criticizing the high and low features of ignorance, one should be absorbed in Christian consciousness on the spiritual, spiritual platform of eternity, bliss, and knowledge. Yes? Okay, let's hear it. From, from YouTube, we have a lot of devotees checking in. Um, Bhumika, Mataji, Nicole, um, Namsmarna Prabhu, Sri Gopal Prabhu, Ananda Baladev Prabhu. And one question from there um, is, does it mean in relation to Krishna? Um, the question was, what is criteria for identifying what is related to Krishna? Because there could be relation, though we cannot see it directly. How do we understand that? Well, it depends on the context that you bring up the criticism in. And in the end, Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur said, we shouldn't waste too much time considering <clears throat> the distinctions in the material world because, he said, we should bring people together for Harinam Sankirtan in a more practical way. So, Shukadeva Goswami gives evidence of this or exhibits this kind of thought process in the Bhagavatam when he says, Kirata Hunanda Pulinda Pulkasha Abhira Shumba Yavana Kasaraya Yene Japapa Yerapashraya Shaya Shudyanti Tasmai Parvavishnavinama. He names uh, many different kinds of people who are considered to be fallen in the material sense. But he says all of them can become elevated spiritually when they connect with the, a devotee of the Lord because of the power of Lord Vishnu that comes through the devotees. So devotees are generally always seeing everything in relationship with Krishna. The point is that we shouldn't make material distinctions based on something that's separate from uh, the people's relationships with Krishna. In other words, 
A pandita samadarshina, a learned person, sees the equality of the living beings. Not artificially, but they see it in the sense of anupashati. They follow in the footsteps of the previous acharyas and also in the scriptures. And they systematically see others in relationship to Krishna. So as an example, when we're looking at the world and the people in the world, we don't um, distinguish uh, who's qualified or unqualified to take to Harinam Sankirtan because we see that they're all spiritual souls and they have full potential to elevate themselves no matter what their external qualification or disqualification is. Narada Muni, when he met with the hunter Magrari, showed this spirit that Srila Bhaktisiddhanta is talking about. <laughs> Don't make distinction externally, but just engage them in Harinam Sankirtan. So Magrari, the hunter, when Narada was walking through the forest one day, he noticed that there were birds, porcupine, deer, and other animals that were twisting, writhing in pain on the ground because they had been half killed by the arrows of some nefarious person. And as he walked further, following this string of suffering animals, he saw this hunter off the beaten path in the forest, and he was crouching down, getting ready to shoot his arrows at another animal. And when Narada approached, it disturbed all the animals and broke the concentration of the hunter, who then was annoyed with Narada and said, why did you do that? I was hunting, and I was uh, just about to kill an animal. Why did you come and disturb me? He did notice that it was a saintly person, but he nonetheless was annoyed at first. And then Narada began to speak to him in a soothing voice, and he advised him that uh, you're causing uh, pain to these animals. And then asked him, why are you doing this? And he said, well, my father taught me this method to half kill animals. And then later I'll go pick them up after they've suffered. So Narada then showed him through his mystic power how the animals who had suffered because of his technique would in the next life make him suffer. So the, the hunter became dismayed by this and was then feeling very much obliged to Narada. And he said, but how do I get out of it now? What should I do? And Narada said, you have to follow my instructions very carefully. And the hunter said, yes, I'll, I'll do it. And the first instruction Narada gave him was throw away your bow. And he hesitated, break your bow. He's hesitated. Did the hunter, he said, but this is my livelihood. What will I do without my bow? And Narda said, don't worry, just do it. So after some extreme hesitation and anger, he finally broke his bow. And Narda arranged for him to start his bhajan right there in the village, forest area. He lived in a little village, and he started doing the activities of Vaishnavas, tat-tat-karma-pravartanat. And soon, soon afterwards, Narada came back with one of his associates just to introduce his associate to the Mograri, the hunter. And as he was approaching the village where Mograri lived, Mograri, hearing that his guru was coming, started walking down the road to meet him, but he was walking in an odd fashion. 
stepping from one side to the next. And when he finally approached and offered his obeisances, Narada asked him why he was walking in such an odd fashion, and he said, there were ants on the road, and I was trying to avoid stepping on them. And this was an exhibition of a person who had the quality of cruelty, but then by the association of Vaishnav, he became purified and then became compassionate and didn't want to kill even an ant, what to speak of a deer or a porcupine. What other questions do you have? So the next question is from um, Anivida Nittai Chand uh, Prabhu. And he says, does this verse mean not to judge, criticize the activities of living entities? Also, how can we use the material energy for good purpose if we remain aloof from it? If what? If we remain aloof from it. Well, uh, the first question was, sh should we not find fault? Um, does the verse mean we should not judge and criticize the activities of living entities? I well, think he means like common living entities. We can judge the general category of ignorance of being engaged in activities that are separated from Krishna. But then seeing living entities in the material world, we can criticize based on the fact that it's the activity itself is devoid of value because it's not connected to Krishna. And this is something that uh, Krishna talks about in the Bhagavad Gita. He mentions, and in a matter-of-fact way, Mogasha mogakarmano mogagyanavichetasa rakshasim asurim chaiva prakriti mohinim shrita that those people who have the wrong mentality, they're not devotees, and they uh, <clears throat> are trying to be independent from Krishna, he says that all their activities, mogasha, mogakarmano, whatever activities they do will be baffled, mogagyana vichetasa, their um, knowledge will be destroyed or baffled, mogasha gyana chetasa, Raksha Simasurim Chaiva, and he says they have a demoniac mentality. So he's saying directly what happens to them. And he also does Krishna mentions Prakriti Kriyamanani Gunai Karmani Sarvasha Ahankara Vimudhatma Kartaham Itimanyate. He rightly points out that when somebody, a living entity, is engaging in material activities thinking that I'm the doer, for instance, I'm the Lord, the controller, I'm the doer in this world, that person's very foolish. So this is, a, this is an observation based on reality. So we shouldn't become otherwise involved in appraising or criticizing materialistic people based on the concept that one material quality is better than another. That's the point. However, we can criticize based on Krishna's instructions by observing that they've made a, made a categorical mistake. They, they're not understanding uh, what the nature of the world is, and therefore they're acting incorrectly and causing themselves more trouble. It's an, that's the form of criticism that's um, reasonable because it's based on the vision of Krishna as he's presented in the Bhagavad Gita, and it's accurate. And the second uh, question that he asks is, how can we use 
how can we use um, if we're remaining aloof from this? How can we um, if we're remaining aloof from material energy? Then how will we be able to use it in a productive? We way? have to understand the way that we're aloof from the material energy. We're aloof from the material energy in attitude, and that is described by Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita, where he says, "Brahman." Uh, he says um, that one lives, one who lives in the world like uh, a lotus flower, you can find the verse, fifth chapter, one who lives in the water, uh, like a, a, one who lives in the world like a lotus flower lives in the water without being touched by it. Brahman yadaya karmani sangam tyakva korotiya lipitena sapapena padma patram ivambasa. Verse number? 5.10, Bhagavad Gita. Brahman yadaya karmani sangam chakva karotiya. So look at this verse. Brahman yadaya karmani. So Brahmani, under the personality of God at adhaya, resigning karmani. So he's working, he's contacting the material energy, but he's resigning all of the uh, results to the Supreme Personality of God. Sangam Chakva Karotiya, he gives up the results of his activity for Krishna. Then Krishna says, Lipite Nasapapina Padma Patramibambasa. Such a person is not affected by sinful reaction because of his attitude and the way he's working. So we can work in the world and we're aloof because we don't see it as mine, just as much as a bank teller who's taking in millions of dollars doesn't think this is my money. Because, Preekashori, what happens if the bank teller takes one dollar out of the till and stuffs it in her sock? She'll probably never get a job anywhere else. And That's right. It, it's such an egregious um, d uh, an offense by taking what, what belongs to somebody else. So in the same way, if I'm thinking these are mine, this belongs to me, then I become... Um, Complicit. So the devotees use everything in the service of Krishna, and that's how they stay aloof, even though they're working in the material world. The aloofness doesn't mean they put themselves in a, in a bubble and separate themselves from material nature. Rather, if anything can be used in Krishna's service, but we don't use it, this is called a natural renunciation, a renunciation that's not uh, complete. What else? There's a lot. Um, Mukharvind Prabhu said, um, such a nice verse from 11th Canto. Thank you, Guru Maharaj, for bringing this um, instructive verse. I was recalling another verse from Bhagavatam 4.4.12 regarding finding the good qualities that you had... 4.4.12, please. Go ahead. Um, that, this is what he, he wanted. He's referring to the verse. So this verse says in the English translation, twice born Daksha, a man like you can simply find fault in the qualities of others. Lord Shiva, however, not only finds no faults with others' qualities, but if someone has a little good quality, he magnifies it greatly. And fortunately, you have found fault with such a great soul. This is where the purport is from Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur. Did you want me to read it, Mukarvin? Yes. King Daksha is addressed here by his daughter Sati as Dwija. 
twice-born. Twice-born refers to the higher classes of men, namely the Brahmanas, Kshatriyas, and Vaishyas. In other words, a Dvija is not an ordinary man, but one who has studied the Vedic literature from a spiritual master and can discriminate between good and bad. Therefore, it is supposed that he understands logic and philosophy. Sati, Daksha's daughter, put before him sound arguments. There are some highly qualified persons who accept only the good qualities of others. Just as a bee is always interested in the honey in the flower and does not consider the thorns and colors. Highly qualified persons who are uncommon accept only the good qualities of others, not considering their bad qualities. Whereas the common man can judge what are good qualities and what are bad qualities. Among the uncommonly good souls, there are still gradations, and the best good soul is one who accepts an insignificant asset of a person and magnifies that good quality. Lord Shiva is also called Ashutosh, which refers to one who is satisfied very easily and who offers to any person the highest level of benediction. For example, once a devotee of Lord Shiva wanted the benediction that whenever he touched someone on the head, that person's head, would at once be separated from his trunk. Lord Shiva agreed, although the benediction asked was not very commendable because the devotee wanted to kill his enemy, Lord Shiva considered the devotee's good quality in worshiping and satisfying him and granted the benediction. Thus Lord Shiva accepted his bad qualities as magnificently good qualities. But Sati accused her father, you are just the opposite. Although Lord Shiva has so many good qualities and no bad qualities at all, you have accepted him as bad and found fault with him. Because of your accepting his good qualities to be bad, instead of your becoming the most exalted soul, you have become the most fallen. A man becomes the greatest soul by accepting the goodness of others' qualities. But by unnecessarily considering others' good qualities to be bad, you have become the lowest of the fallen souls. What else? And then another point from, I think this is Mayank Prabhu, he's saying, when we praise someone while on Sankirtan to build a rapport um, for book distribution, is this not a good thing? No, it's necessary. Because um, when a doctor asks a, a little child to take some medicine, often the child say no. And then the doctor will say that if you take the medicine, then I'll give you a, a, a special gift. And, and similarly, sometimes uh, the, the parent, when giving medicine, will say, oh, here comes the airplane, and makes all kinds of um, special circumstances so that the, the child will take the medicine. So when a a devotee is teaching Krishna consciousness to others and offers sincere praise of others. It's a, an attempt to give medicine so that the person can recover. And this is um, done with the perspective of doing good for another. And it's, it's, it's a product of being inspired by Krishna's will that others get an opportunity to take to Krishna consciousness. So it's a transcendental process. Asher Madhava Prabhu had a question as to whether 
this vision is the vision of a utamadikari. Well, when he describes it, he's called the sadutama, or the best of sadhus, the highest of sadhu, who sees like that. But an utamadikari is also described by Rupa Goswami as being free from the propensity to criticize others. He mentions that in the verse 5 of the Upadeshamrita, Krishneti yasa giritam manasadrieta dikshasti chet pranatibhishya bhajantamisham shushushaya bhajanavigna manandyamanya nindari shunya hridamitsatasangalabhya nindari shunya ninda means to criticize and shunya means to be devoid of. Such a person is known to be the highest type of devotee. Yes, Uttam Adhikari. Then? Um, I find that I am spending a lot of mental energy criticizing the reasons behind this outbreak that's going on right now. Um, is, it that, is that not acting like a devotee as per um, 1128? This event has caused disturbance to a lot of uh, pe people, even to the devotees and other innocent people. Well, first of all, it's kind of a waste of time because it is what it is. So why, why try to speculate and think of ways in which um, you, know, you could swing at the air and, and curse it and everything like that, but it's, it's inconsequential. But let me point this out. What is not in my control is not out of control. Just because something and it also doesn't mean that it's something that is um, not being done for a beneficial cause. And this is part of the, the vision of Krishna's, uh, the context of the vision of, uh, the context of what Krishna is saying in the verse that we quoted from the 11th canto. You should see how the world's working in a uniform way. That is, things are working for a higher purpose. I may not see it because I have my own purpose, which is my purpose, of the, I want to be um, undisturbed and un, I don't want to be inconvenienced in this world. And I have my agenda, which is to be as happy as possible and to avoid as distress as much as possible. So when something comes along that is uh, taking away my sense of inconvenience, that's a sense of convenience and is disturbing to me, I take it to be something that is uh, malignant or bad. But in a higher view, I mean, one could also see that um, people are getting an opportunity to stay home and think about things a little more. It's like when kids get too, when they get too rowdy in the house and then the parents say, okay, everybody sit in the corner and take a time out. Then uh, think about, you know, <laughs> Think about what you're doing here. So there's a way that um, the universe moves in ways we may not be able to see. As I gave the example before, one day I was gardening in, in my backyard, and I saw a little bird fly into the kitchen. It's in the back part of the house. So I went to get him out. And when I walked in, he saw me, and he became very afraid. I opened the windows in the kitchen and the movement made him even more afraid, so he flew into the next room, the temple room. I opened the windows there, he went into the living room, I opened the temples there. 
and from one room to the next in the house. Uh, he was uh, fleeing because he thought I was after him. And he finally made it all the way back around the house as he thought I was. He noticed the window was open, but he saw me coming. And before he flew out, he looked at me, and his eyes spoke the following. You tried to kill me. I avoided you. And now I'm going to get away. And he flew out the window. I like little birds. I got nothing against them. In fact, I... I I look at them sometimes when I'm in the garden and I just think, what amazing creatures. I wouldn't harm a feather on, it, on his little head. But he thought I was after him. I was some big monster trying to kill him. And he took the movement of opening the windows to be some kind of a major disturbance, some, some part of the plot to kill him. Whereas I was thinking how to free this little bird and put him back in his natural environment and get him out of the house where he's going to be stifled. So in a similar way, while I'm in the material world, I may interpret the threefold miseries, including ones that rise up to a high level that disturb a lot of people, to be something that's really um, demoniac or something like that. But actually... There's a higher purpose. If I see it with a higher purpose in the material world, that these miseries are actually a, re a great reminder that I don't own any of the things I have. They can come and go. Um, I, don't, I shouldn't have a sense of entitlement. So who granted me this life and this body anyway? Did, did I get a little certificate when I was born that said you get to stay in this world a certain number of years? They're great poets who have lived in their, in, only into their 20s. Mahaprabhu only stayed on the planet for 34 years. There are um, no guarantees in this world, and it, it was never granted to us, and it, no one ever said, you get a certain amount of time or anything like that. So we have to um, see things from a higher level of vision, that this material world's not our home, and that any kind of miseries that come to us as devotees or Krishna's arrangement to help us become more serious in Krishna consciousness. Next. Um, Shashi Rekha Devidasi asked this question. The hunter was so fortunate that he could see suffering from killing animals in the next life by Narada by Narada's mystic power. But in today's world, how can we make people understand the reactions of killing innocent animals if they are very reluctant to understand the law of karma? Well, a lot of people do understand it when we tell them. It, it's actually surprising sometimes how some people have not really thought it through very well. And when you explain it, to them, they change their mind. Nirakula has a younger sister, and when she was, many, many years ago, she was staying with Nirakula when she lived in the, at the uh, Los Angeles temple. And one day they took a, a trip down to the Laguna Beach temple for a festival, and they were driving back together. And Nirakula pointed up to the cows that were on the side of the hill, and she said, to her sister, Katie. Katie, do you know when mother gives you 
hamburger that it comes from those animals? Because Katie, I was just a little kid at that time. I forget how old. But Nirkula might tell me. She was four? I didn't know that. She was four years old. And, and, and she was admiring the cows, thinking they were nice. So Nirkula just told her straight out. <laughs> you, know, when, you know when mother gives you these hamburgers? The meatballs? She makes meatballs? It comes from these cows. And Katie, at four years old, just broke down crying. And she cried all the way back to Los Angeles. And she's never eaten meat again in her life since then. Lifelong vegetarian. So it, living entities, living beings are impressionable. They may not uh, say it right away. But in other um, circumstances, it's described in the Bhagavatam that we should Try to pick people who are a little bit open. We're not meant to simply argue with people endlessly when they're not open to hear certain things. But ultimately, uh, the, the real solution is to give people a higher taste through uh, giving Krishna consciousness and distributing Krishna prasadam. So if people can't understand on one side, sometimes when you give them prasadam, they'll appreciate. And they can have a change of heart later. What else? Um, there's another question. Because really, a, a transformation that takes place that's based on some intellectual idea. I've seen a lot of people give up eating meat, and then later on they change their mind. But when, you know, ultimately, we're not really vegetarians. We're just actually, we're, we take what Krishna eats, and Krishna... We offer Krishna nice things, not dirty things, and not things that, you know, we're based on violence. And we just take his remnants. So we just do whatever he does. So that's why we're in our situation. So if somebody has that conviction, they're much more likely to appreciate the principle and not flip-flop just based on mental speculation. Yes. This is from Kiva Bhakti Prabhu. He says, any thoughts about the place constructive criticism has when it comes to family? Does having a familial relationship give license to correct behavior when we see loved ones that could benefit from a healthy dose of criticism? Yeah, constructive criticism is always, uh, well, let me rephrase that. Constructive criticism can be very helpful. But when we're speaking to others, and sometimes especially family members, we have to consider the fact that generally people have a, a false sense of, of their, um, the way they move about the world. So we have to be careful in the way that we administer it because they may not appreciate it. So in the 17th, thank you, in the 17th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna mentions that there are austerities of speech, and he says one should speak truthfully, beneficially, and avoid speech that offends. And Prabhupada mentions in his purport that even when we're offering criticism, we should offer it to people who signed up for it, or who are, who are actually um, our subordinates, and that we're, meant, we're supposed to help them out. Don't offer a lot of free, free advice to people who didn't ask for it. So even when somebody does sign up for it, for instance, let's say 
uh, there's a disciple type person that says, okay, I'm taking shelter of you, you guide me. Even then you have to be careful because they're fragile, they have false egos, and if you say something too abruptly to a person who can't handle it, they may become really disturbed. So you'll find throughout the Bhagavatam that uh, great teachers of Krishna consciousness, when they're giving constructive criticism, they do it in, in ways that can be really appreciated by the person. For instance, we have a Narada Muni speaking to King Prachinabharishat. And King Prachinabharishat was fully absorbed in his way of life as a king, and he was performing all kinds of materialistic activities, performing sacrifices to try to elevate himself to a higher position in the material world. So <clears throat> he was blowing it in at least two ways. One way was that he was killing animals in sacrifice for which he would have to suffer in the future. And the other way was he, doesn't, he wasn't engaged in devotional service, so he was losing time. So Narada then, when he approached the king and appreciated him, then he said, I'm going to tell you a story about another king named Paranjana. And he gave a, an extensive allegory about another king. The king was actually the mirror image of Prachinabharishat, but he didn't say, my dear king, you're blowing it. He just said, this other king's blowing it. <laughs> and his name just happens to sound like yours. <laughs> and, and as he described King Paranjana to Prachinabharishat, Prachinabharishat was spared the brunt of a direct uh, criticism, and instead he was able to take the lesson. So there's an art to giving constructive criticism. And those who are good leaders know that art. And for instance, sometimes in a community, like in a devotional community, when you see people doing something wrong, it's better to make a list of what they are and then at a time when there's a general assembly, you can bring those things up. Let's just say someone's in the, in the assemblage and the, they stretch out their legs because they don't know any better. And then you, you say to them, hey, what are you doing? You can't do that in here. And then they'll be mortified. They'll remember that for the rest of their lives. In any case, Kevala Bhakti Prabhu, you asked about family members Generally, uh, if you try to go for your upline and offer criticism, that'll be really a disaster. Because your parents and others who um, begot you and raised you really uh, can't hear criticism. That's a really rare thing. It's better in those circumstances to set an example. And when the relationship changes, maybe at some time, if there is a case for offering criticism, constructive criticism, then you can offer it but it's really hard to go upline. And even downline for siblings, because they all oftentimes think, you know, I know you, I watched you grow up, you're just an idiot like me, so what are you trying to tell me for? In fact, Prophet mentions that in the fourth canto of the Bhagavatam and in the seventh canto as well, that oftentimes somebody becomes, in a family, becomes elevated spiritually and then becomes a, you know, a genuine spiritual teacher somewhere. And then people in his family say like, nah. He tells a story about these kids who are walking around. Well, they're grown-ups now, but they used to be kids together. And uh, one of uh, the friends tells the other, you know, Dalip is a high court judge now. And the other person says, no way. Dalip, he's an idiot. He's one of us. And uh, his friend says, no, he really is a high court judge. I, I went down to the courthouse 
He's sitting behind the bench. He's got a robe on, and he's passing judgments, and the, uh, you know, everyone's accepting. And he's a judge. And then his friends say, "Yeah, but he's probably not getting paid." <laughs> so there's this envy that people have. So they have to be really, really careful, or sh I should say, artful, artful and careful in offering constructive criticism if you actually want it to construct something. We got one minute left. What is it? I'll offer a 30-second answer. Um, Vanamali Mataji was, asked, was saying, Who? Vanamali Mataji? Vanamali. Yeah. She was asking, um, so Mergari the hunter, he was so degraded, but how did he get such an elevated spiritual master? Well, sometimes when, um, when you're the runt of the litter and you're the lowest, then the, you, you get lucky and somebody really elevated will come along and say, oh, I got to help him out. <laughs> no one else is going to go for this one. I'll take him. You see that sometimes. Sometimes, like some guy who's like the the bottom of the pit in in society, and he commits a crime, you know. And then one of the most famous lawyers in the world will say, "Well, I'll take the case." You know, he's not going to get a good a good a trial by a by a public defender, so I'll take it. So sometimes a famous guru will see somebody really fallen. Besides, that's Narada Muni's nature. Vaishnavas are paradukaduki. They like to take on some of these cases because, just like Lord Nityananda, he's the best, but he took on the case of Jagayan Mare because he wanted to show the mercy of Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and that, that actually you can save anyone. And that made Lord Chaitanya really, really famous, that he saved Jagayan Mare. Everyone said, well, then... You know, anybody can be saved. Thank you, everyone, for joining online. We'll just uh, keep our heads down and keep the vibration going. Everyone, please stay healthy. Keep washing your hands. And uh, take this time, especially now, to uh, think about your life and which parts are most important. And then take whatever time off you might have to realign your priorities and put the most important parts of your life first. Especially for devotees who are listening, make sure that you're going deeply into your sadhana. This means chant your rounds with attention and love for Krishna and call out for help. And in that matter, I'm going to read you a little prayer that you can say before you chant your japa if you so desire. Shiro mat parayo kritva bahu cha parasparam prapanam pahimam isha bitam mrityu grahanavat placing his head at the feet of the deity he should then stand with folded hands before the lord and pray o oh my lord please protect me who am surrendered unto you. I am most fearful of this ocean of material existence, standing as I am in the mouth of death. Then chant Hare Krishna in that mood, and please read Srila Prabhupada's books every day, pick a number, and stick to it. This will protect you from rampant mind spinning, which tends to go around and when it gets started, it's hard to stop. So keep not on the chariot of the mind, but 
stay lifted by the transcendental shastras, which are our friends and have come down from the spiritual world to assist us in giving us a helping hand going back home, back to Godhead. Please take care of one another. Take nice Krishna prasadam, healthy things, things, greens, rainbow-like foods that are healthy, full of antioxidants, and keep the vibration going. Thank you very much for joining us here at ISV for our Sunday program. And we will see you again coming up on Wednesday evening, Krishna willing. Hare Krishna. Gaur Premanandi Hari Hari Bom. Not to the Armarman, not to the Armarman, not to the Armarman, hey, not to the Armarman, not to the Armarman, not to the Armarman, not to the Armarman.